Did you know there are 54 unnamed women mentioned in the Old Testament? And while their names aren't mentioned, their stories are so important. Now, we don't have time to tell you about all of them. But in this special bonus series that we're calling Unnamed Women of the Old Testament, we are going to tell you about six unnamed women and their incredible contributions to the overall narrative of the Bible. Welcome to the first episode of Unnamed Women in the Old Testament, a special bonus series from Sunday on Monday. Now, if you're probably wondering what in the world is Sunday on Monday, it's a Deseret Bookshelf Plus podcast brought to you by LDS Living, where we take the Come Follow Me lesson for the week and we really dig into the scriptures together. If you want to know more about us, click on the link in our description or go to ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday for a free 30-day trial of Deseret Bookshelf Plus. Okay, so today we're going to talk about a very important unnamed woman in the Old Testament, and she's kind of in the beginning in Exodus. It's Pharaoh's daughter who saved baby Moses. But here's something cool. Did you know that there were actually five other women who aided in Moses's overall saving? And so we just, we can't talk about Pharaoh's daughter without mentioning these other five women. So we decided to go rogue and we're going to talk about the six women in Moses's life. But before we get into that, I just have to tell you my favorite part about the Sunday on Monday podcast is that each week I get to invite two of my friends to join me to talk about scripture. I mean, does it get any better than that? And so for this whole series of unnamed women of the Old Testament, we're going to do the same thing. And so today I could not be more excited about my guests. I've invited my friends, Mandy Green and Becky. Hi, ladies. Hello. Um, Okay. Here's how I know you both. Becky Farley, I've known forever. Her acronym in my phone is BFF, Mm. Becky Farley forever. She is my best friend. I love her. And then Mandy was my very first Hebrew teacher. I've really come a long (laughs) way. You have. You have. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And then Becky and Mandy have met each other because Becky teaches mindfulness classes. And so we've all taken her classes. Is that right? Yes. And I'm attempting to be more Zen. Well, Mandy, I'm attempting to be like more brilliant. (laughs) Like get something done. (laughs) You two ladies. (laughs) I mean, come on. You guys are out there like doing all your stuff and I'm just home eating my chips. Oh, well, no, I'm not. I'm mine, okay, I'm mine being Zen. The chips. There you go. Okay. There, yeah, yeah. Noticing each crunch. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're the best. Well, for those of you who are listening, let's dig into the very first episode of the unnamed women of the Old Testament. So the very first two women we're going to talk about today, they do have names and their names are Shipra and Pua. And you can find their story in Exodus chapter one. We'll actually be in Exodus one a lot today. So just turn there if you have your scriptures. But I thought this was so interesting because when the three of us were talking about who we wanted to talk about of the six women in Moses's life, Becky, you immediately said, I want Shipra and Pua. I want to know why. Okay. Now let me preference it with this. Last night, I just happened to watch the movie Hidden Figures. And I don't know if any of you guys have watched that movie. Amazing. It's such a great movie. So it's about these three black women at the height of civil rights in the early 1960s, and they all work at NASA. And they each have these amazing brains, these mathematical brains that basically change the whole course of the NASA project. And without them, NASA could have never done what it did. And Mm -hmm. the reason why it's called Hidden Figures is that we've never heard these stories. We don't know about these three amazing women that were brave 
and brilliant and incredible and changed the course of history. Okay, fast forward to Shipra and Pua. They were the two midwives that were working with the Hebrew women at the time of Moses' birth. It turns out Pua's name actually means brilliant or shining one. And Shipra's Mm -hmm. name means beauty Mm -hmm. or splendid. And I just think about these hidden women in the scriptures and how brilliant and beautiful and splendid and shining. And I don't mean beautiful, like necessarily in the physical sense, but beautiful in that they were able to change the course of history. So when I first read this story, I probably was in late high school, maybe early college. I suddenly was awoken to the fact that there were women in the scriptures, period. And I went on this journey I read everything I could get my hands on. I looked for women in the scriptures. And that's the thing is that, you know, God has all of these amazing things for us. But if we don't open up our eyes to it, we're not going to see it. We have to open our eyes. We have to open our brains. We have to open our hearts to the fact that he has stuff there for us. And that's where I think these women, these hidden women in the scriptures come in so much is us opening up this desire to know about them, this desire to learn about them. And so often we just kind of go with whatever's in front of us instead of maybe seeing the other stuff on the menu. Like maybe we're just going to go with whatever the restaurant, (laughs) you know, says, oh, this is what's good. Well, no, actually, maybe if you try that delicious soup or whatever, that might become your favorite thing. And that's the thing with women in the scriptures. I just have to say that Right now, when you've been saying that, I have felt the spirit so strong. Like what you I said is so true. I was like, hidden figures is yeah, the perfect way to attack. This well, and issue. I, I don't think it was by chance that I actually watched that movie last night because I ended up staying up all night thinking about it. I mean, I'm a little <laughs> menopausal and I have to get up with a hot flash every once in a while because it's pretty hot. So I got up, sat on the couch a couple of times in the middle of the night thinking about what we were going to talk about. I almost want to rename the whole bonus episodes now, like Unnamed Women of the Old Testament, <laughs> Hidden Figures. The Hidden Figures true. of the Old Testament. It's true. And oh, I just saw so many parallels between those three women to all of these women that we're going to talk about today. They were brave. Yes scared, (laughs) brilliant, Mm -hmm. and yet didn't know what they were going to do next, but just went forward. And the first thing to know about the time that Shipra and Pua lived is that Pharaoh was God. Disobeying Pharaoh Mm -hmm. at that time was going to get you the fast track to death. And Pharaoh came to them. And that's interesting in itself. I mean, Pharaoh was like the top dog of the top dog of the top dog. And he's going to two midwives and he decides that he wants to take down the population of the Hebrews. So he's going to do that by getting rid of the men children, not the women children, which is interesting, but the men children. So he goes to these midwives and he says, when you are delivering their babies, what I want you to do is kill all of the baby boys. Keep the baby girls alive, but kill all the baby boys. Okay, this is where it gets really cool. 
because I think that it is the first (laughs) act of civil disobedience ever recorded. And hence the reason why it's such a good parallel to this hidden figures, because that's what was going on at that point too. So instead of full out, just say, no, we're not going to do it. And then, you know, Pharaoh just slices their throats or whatever. They say, well, okay. And then they don't kill because they fear God. And I love this verse right here where it says, verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them. Fear doesn't necessarily mean being afraid. It means that they respect Mm -hmm. God, that they want to do what God says. And then at the very end of the story, in verse 21, it says, and it came to pass because the midwives feared God, he made them houses. And I'll talk about that in just a second. So what they do is they don't kill the babies. And then Pharaoh comes back to him and says, hey, what's up? How come you didn't kill the babies? How come you didn't kill these mad babies? And they say, oh, it turns out, and this is where the civil disobedience, a little, little white lie, right? They say, oh, it turns out that the Hebrew women are lively, that they are really strong, that they're able to deliver the babies before we even get there. But the Egyptian women, they're not so lively. (laughs) So not only do they get the civil disobedience, but they get a little jab. (laughs) They get a little jab of the Egyptian women. So these are the other things that I think were interesting. Midwife is not just someone who delivers the babies, but basically they played the part of a whole bunch of different professions. First off, they were the obstetrician in that they helped women to know when it was the right time to get pregnant, you know, maybe how to change their diet or whatever it is. Then once they delivered the baby, they were the pediatrician at that point. They were the ones that knew what to do. And they stayed in the parents' lives for several years after that in helping them to know how to raise the child. Then the other thing that they were is the counselor or the social worker. If something bad happened, if there was a miscarriage or if there was a stillbirth or a crib death, they were there to help them heal, not only emotionally, but physically too. And they were smart. I mean, I think about Shipra and Pua, and especially in the fact that their name, Pua's name means brilliant. They were brilliant. And I think that's how they were able to come up with that answer to the Pharaoh. Yeah. You can't pull something that out, like out of your back pocket, unless you kind of know, you know, what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because Pharaoh did. Yes. Pharaoh he wouldn't have known about well, birthing and, and all of that. And so I love that he's like, okay, well, all right then. Right. And that's them. where I think where in verse 20, it says, therefore God dealt well with the midwives. I think that's mm-hmm. maybe how God dealt well with them is that Pharaoh was kind of stupid. I mean, I shouldn't say he was stupid. He just didn't know about the, yeah, exactly. the whole process of midwives. But I also think that God protected it. And when I think about ourselves, so often I worry about, oh, how is this going to work out? Or, I mean, you know me, Tam, I'm plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. If plan A doesn't work out, then plan B is going to work out. Plan B doesn't work out, plan C. You don't need, we can throw all away all the plans. 
We can just throw all plans away and know that God will deal well with us when we fear him and we love him mm. and we follow him. All yes. the plans are going to work out. We don't have to worry about plan A, plan B, plan C. We can just say, you know what? He's got it. He'll make it so Pharaoh believes this story. And we don't know if these were the midwives that actually delivered Moses. That It doesn't say that in the scripture, but it is interesting that Moses just included their two names because I think there must have been a lot more midwives, but for some reason, these are Mm -hmm. the two that Moses included in his account. But then the other thing about midwives were that oftentimes they were the women that couldn't bear children for whatever reason. Mm. And so it's really cool at the end of the scriptural account that it says, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And houses meaning that Mm. he gave them posterity. I'm not sure what what that is if they bore children after that, but we can assume that the midwives were young enough probably to bear children. And he made them houses. So they were blessed in a lot of different ways for doing this act of civil disobedience, which essentially brought forth whether they were the ones that birthed Moses or not, they still moved this work forward and were brave. It adds power to the story if they were old and they had household, because then you just, it really goes back to what you're saying that God did deal well with them. And their plan A for sure didn't work out. And so this would yeah, be plan yeah. Z for them if they were old. Yeah. Like, wow, look, God really did yeah. deal well with us. We well, everything's about that. your house. Like that's notoriety. That's like a place mm. in the community. That's recognition, right? So someone who's just obscure, this hidden figure is once again brought into light. And I love yeah. how witty they are. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. some like... That's some thinking. I'm thinking of Alma when it's like, be cunning, but yeah, harmless. I just think of like the stupid starfish story where, you know, maybe it wasn't Moses, Becky, but every single right. one of those lives matters right. in our world. And just what a beautiful thing about every single Absolutely. life. And that- I just think that they really helped people in the whole community not just understand God, but understand who God was in their life. This is something else that I thought was interesting is that when you think about what happens, so this story comes before Moses, right? And then Moses has Mm -hmm. his civil disobedience against Pharaoh and he doesn't do it. He doesn't go in and slaughter everybody like what has happened in Genesis. Basically, he is doing it with kind of civil disobedience with the plagues. Mm. They waited out. There's a plague and then they waited out and then there's a plague and then they waited out. And it makes me wonder, where did he learn that from? Oh my gosh. Okay, Farley, I appreciated so much how you just pointed that out because who would he have learned that from? Probably his mom. Oh my gosh. In fact, I just want to talk about her story because there is a little bit of civil disobedience here. It actually reminded me of Laurel Thatcher Ulrich's quote. So for those of you who don't know who she is, Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, she's a professor at Harvard. She's an incredible scholar and she's a member of the church. She coined the phrase, well-behaved women seldom make history. 
let's talk about Moses's mother then. This is in Exodus chapter two, verses one through three. You can cross-reference her also mentioned in Exodus chapter six, verse 20, in Numbers chapter 26, verse 59, and then again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. And that's all we know about her. Those are the only references for Jehokabed. That is her name. Okay. I just had this thought though, Mandy, because the name Jehokabed, if you break it down, then could you translate it as God is in the burden? Yeah. Well, God is the burden or the burden is God, something like that. Oh, the burden is God's. Like it could, yeah, the burden could be his. Maybe that's what her name means. Oh, I like that because her burden was great. You know, through the Lord, she was able to get through this heavy, weighty burden of having to get rid of her son. Now, if you're wondering, whoa, wait, were the babies safe because of Shipra and Pua? Well, yes, those babies were, but then Pharaoh gives another edict. So make sure you are in Exodus 1 still, and we are going to look at verse 22. Every son that is born, you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save. And so now he's like, all right, let's just put all the sons in the river. And so I love that Jehokabed, a little civil disobedience here, she's going to put him in the river, but in her mm, way, yeah. she's going to do it. Yeah. And she's going to be very careful. So I'm imagining her carrying this bundle down to the river and everyone thinks she's you know, following the commands of Pharaoh, but she has carefully found a way to do it, to save her son. And it's interesting because in the wording, when it says that he could no longer be hid, they kept him for three months then she carries him down to the river. And there's a couple of different ideas about what this could mean. Some Jewish scholars think that she gave birth to Moses early at six months. The rest of the three months that she would have been pregnant, she actually got to have with her son. So that when she did give birth to him, people thought it's been her nine months. So Mm. there's one thought, or she actually went the full nine months and then kept him for three more to nurse him, which I kind of Mm. like that better because... No babies were living at six months, but if he did, it would yeah. be God who's in charge. Yeah. So there not you go. plan A, not plan B. So plan Z, maybe. Plan, exactly. So she carefully created this basket. And as a woman, she would have known how to make baskets. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? So she does this beautiful basket, but then as a slave woman, she would have known how to make it waterproof because she has just spent her life making mortar and paste for Pharaoh. And that struck me because here is this experience where it was so burdensome for her as a slave and it ended up being her saving grace. Like She took what the skill that she learned as a slave and saved her child with that. And I think sometimes I wonder like, who would have ever guessed that our burdens would become our salvation? And sometimes in the thick of our burdens, if we can think for a minute that what we're learning in that experience might save us somehow. And that is exactly what happened for Jehokabed. That's what I was thinking too. Like these horrible experiences we often go through end up coming into play in our life in critical Mm -hmm. ways. Oh, I love that thought. I love that thought. I had never realized that she was obeying, quote unquote, the Mm -hmm. edict of Pharaoh. I mean, how cool is that? I had never really thought about that before. I hadn't either till I was studying for this. And then in my mind, I'm imagining her just and other women crying as they carry these babies down to the river. But in her mind, you know, she's like, yes, I, I, I know what I'm That's so cool. <laughs> Again, and I, this like thoughtfulness. They are, right? yes, they they are brilliant women. women. They, they are thinking are on their smart. feet. And I think that as she was walking down to the river, carrying this baby in her arms, 
I think that's where Miriam comes into play, who is Moses' sister. I think she was carrying the basket off to the side. I kind of wonder if Jehokabed said, Miriam, meet me in the bulrushes. Like you go ahead, but me, I'll meet you there. And then we'll put the baby in. Like, I think Miriam might've carried that down there and was her little assistant in this because she couldn't have carried the bat unless she carried the baby in a basket, which that could have also happened too. It's so interesting to me to see how much mothers influence their children. I mean, both of you ladies, I know your kids and I can see how your influence has helped and guided them. And I just think that these five women with their female roles have influenced history completely in what they do. Mm-hmm. And I love that thought of Jehokabed, is that how you say her name, telling Miriam and, yeah. and her like not being afraid because her mother, her mother was like, okay, it's okay. We got a plan. God's with us. We got a plan. Yeah. We're going to do this and how much we can do that with our own kids. It's okay. God's got a plan. Mm-hmm. It's okay. God's got a plan with us. And I think about my daughter, Rose, who just had a baby. And she came to me and asked, how am I going to raise him in this world? And I said, with Jesus. Jesus, mm-hmm. that's the only way I know how to raise children. And it'll be okay. He's got a plan. It's going to be okay. He's got a plan. Oh my gosh, Becky. Okay. This is incredible because I actually have a quote by Elder Hales that supports everything you just said. This is beautiful. Mandy, will you read this quote for us? Like Jehokaved, we raise our families in a wicked and hostile world. A world as dangerous as the courts of Egypt ruled by Pharaoh. But like Jehokaved, we also weave around our children, great word there, a protective basket, a vessel called the family and guide them to safe places where our teachings can be reinforced in the home and at church. Along the way, at times when our children are away from us, the Lord provides inspired Miriams to watch over them. Special third-party helpers such as priesthood and auxiliary leaders, teachers, extended family, and worthy friends. Thank you. Why did you like the word weave in there? Because weave is such a verb used with feminine divine, right? Like all the goddesses are weavers. And so this idea of weaving the basket actually is very reminiscent of a heavenly mother, weaving the cosmos in Proverbs 8. So weaving is something, as you think about your work as a woman, as you do your work, it is this weave, it's this warp and this weft that you're working on constantly, and we can't see the big picture. So we're weaving our little corner of that tapestry, and yet the gods have this good, big, gorgeous picture that they're weaving with us, right? So there's warp from them, and there's weft from us, and we continue to just take that path and and create these protective coverings and all of these things. If you think about glory is, is something that's that we wear. So right. I love that glory is also weight because we have to be able to bear weight. And as we increase in glory, we increase our ability to handle these burdens, to be given weight. We're actually blessed to bear weight. And so that of course is reminiscent of the savior and imagine the weight that he bore 
and the consequent glory that he's able to wear after bearing such a burden. And so Yochabed's just this amazing example, as you talk about this, Tammy, of weaving and doing this woman's work to quote a sweet Kate Bush song and to be involved in this warp and weft with heaven. And Mm -hmm. she absolutely is the embodiment of that. That was beautifully taught, Mandy. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was powerful. So at the end, at the end of that um, quote we just shared, he talks about the Miriams in our lives. And so that leads us to the next woman in Moses's life. So if you notice this theme, we have these women who are saving Moses. You know, Shipra and Pua saved him. His mother saved him. And then Miriam, his older sister, is going to save him. So Mandy is going to teach us about Miriam, and I'm so excited. I volunteered for Miriam because I'm like you, Becky. When I think when I was four or five, I went to my dad and I was like, <laughs> I'm done reading the Book of Mormon. And I remember his face. It was horrified. I'm like, it's always men. It's always men. So this is a great opportunity for all of us. Now, Miriam is actually super heroic and super (laughs) amazing. She is the prototype. Her name is going to be the prototype of women who are really, really critical in the work and the glory of our heavenly parents. She's actually the first woman given the title of prophetess. Mm -hmm. She's the first one to have the title Navia. That's from the Jewish Women's Archive. So let me read this from that website. Though the meaning of the term prophet is here indeterminate, which I don't think it is, Miriam is the first woman ever to bear it. She becomes thereby the archetype of the female prophetic tradition even as Moses heads the male. And so the word Navi in Hebrew means to gush up, to bubble up like a spring. And it's so interesting to me that Miriam is always found near the water, which is a very, very feminine symbol. Mm-hmm. Here she is, she's in the water, gushing up, providing an outlet for Moses. And then additionally, she's not just like, oh, mom, you're making me put this basket in. I'm going to get busted, right? Like (laughs) he's following it all the way to Pharaoh's daughter. In fact, it would not surprise me as I'm talking that it was directed toward Pharaoh's daughter. Mm -hmm. And then she's there on the scene. Notice that she's always on the scene. So much of religion. I heard my wife's sister-in-law, Whitney, say, So much of what we do is about showing up. She said, showing up is half the battle. And Miriam is always there. She's always in proximity. And I think that's so instructive, but she has tremendous spiritual gifts and tremendous influence and power. I mean, she's there in the Nile when Pharaoh's daughter pulls the basket out of the water and is looking around and is there with this great alternative to. I know a wet nurse. I mean, think about the women right here. We tend to think in nursery stories and I want us to elevate our thoughts to a more complex life situation. So here's Pharaoh's daughter. She's bathing with all her handmaidens. Can she get a wet nurse? Easy. Yeah, she probably has a palace full of them, right? At the time, Pharaoh has lots of different people bearing children. And so it's interesting that Miriam shows up, this Hebrew girl, She's like, hey, I know this woman. 
Pharaoh's daughter is no chump. I'm yeah. telling you right now. And she's like, okay. Right. So instantly there's this unspoken and I'm totally like adding my own take on this, whether it's true or not, I want you to think about this exchange and it's all done in the water with women and, and birth and like this understanding of women's burdens. And as she's like, I know a wet nurse that someone could take and Pharaoh's daughter is going to see this is a Hebrew baby. This is probably someone very precious to this girl and what the, Hey, we're going to go forward with this. And that's just the beginning of Miriam's tremendous. And I mean, tremendous ministry. She has tremendous spiritual gifts. Well, and the word for water is Maim. Maim. I need to talk about her name, don't I? Right. Like her name's Miriam. Let's talk about her name. Her name means, well, Mir. E Mayim, right? Mm-hmm. So it can mean drop of the sea, right? Or uh, like or Mayim, the the star of the sea. Mara is the word for bitterness. They say that could be part of her name, the bitterness of water. So again, there's just tons of gorgeous feminine power and divine well, gifts. I want to say um, one so, thing. Sorry, when you think about Miriam, just how strong her identity affected the history of the world along with the prophet's wives and the apostles' wives. And what's going on now? Emma, everybody, these women are there. They are there being who they need to be. And it has definitely influenced what's happened. And by virtue of that, we yeah. we are there now. This is all pointing to us. What does Miriam have to do with everything, us? Everything. 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 Oh, I love that. And what's interesting about Miriam is that there's no record of her being a wife or a mother. Mm. There's no record of that. So if you find yourself in that position, I think Miriam is your gal. Yeah. I mean, look at the ability she's able to unlock and be part of heaven in this role that she plays. First of all, saving her brother who's going to lead the Exodus, but she's critical in the Exodus. And when she dies in Exodus 20, it says that they were without water. Boy, if that does not talk about all of a sudden, there's Mm -hmm. this famine in the land for this feminine power, this feminine figurehead. For the prophetess, for the role the word of, the, of the Lord, the divine, righteous woman. There's no gushing yes. forth. And so we're going to lose that balance. When Miriam dies, instead of this beautiful male-female balance, it says there's no water. Wow. Mm. And obviously, I'm going a little crazy <laughs> here, but I just, I'm just pulling threads yeah. as fast as I can so that you as listeners are like, I have a lot to learn about Miriam. And this is yeah, just the right. beginning, but wow, she's tremendous. that was so good. I love that, yeah. Mandy. You wet my whistle, so Mandy. <sighs> I hope now, so. Yeah, I mean, go back because now I want to know more about Pharaoh's daughter, who is the unnamed woman in the story that we're talking about today. Okay, well, let's. You keep also going said you wanted this. to take her, and I love that. I do because I because this have... is our unnamed woman right here. Oh, and I just got back from Egypt, and so I want to transport you just a little bit. Now I'm telling you right up front, 
This is Mandy Midrash, but I was at the <laughs> What temple. does Midrash mean? Tell us real quick. Oh yeah. Whenever I say Midrash, we're talking about someone's commentary on a specific verse or passage of verses. So when I say it's Mandy Midrash, this is my own commentary. I'm just saying like, this is my own point of view. So we, we, we use a lot of Jewish Midrash in our teaching. Yeah, we'll use a lot of Jewish mm-hmm. Midrash in the Old Testament, which is yeah. a lot of different rabbis' commentary on mm-hmm. specific verses. So, okay, so Mandy's Midrash, hit it. Mandy's, Mandy's Midlife Midrash, here we go. So I just got back and I was at the Temple of Hatshepsut. She is one of two women to bear the title of Pharaoh in Egyptian dynasties. And she has this gorgeous gorgeous temple that they uncovered in the 1900s. And she's someone who really personifies someone who went about doing good. Now I'm reading a book right now where one of the authors, it's called the Exodus reality. One of the authors thinks that Hatshepsut could possibly be Pharaoh's Mm. daughter Mm. because she has a counselor named Senenmut who tutors her own daughter and she gives to him over 60 titles. Now we talked about creating a house. She gives him 60 titles. He's not the Pharaoh because she has, she's a co-regent with her son. Who's not her son. It's her husband's son, Tutmosis the third. So she's doing all of the ruling and Tutmosis is becoming this powerful Mm -hmm. military leader. But what's really interesting is that Senenmut is someone with tremendous gifts and who's fostering all of these gifts. And so it just made me think about this actual story, whether it's Hatshepsut or not. Pharaoh's daughter is giving Moses everything he needs for his mission in life. And like I said, she's no chump. In fact, in your account in Exodus, it's going to say that she literally drew him out of the water with her own hands, which is really, really interesting because she has all of these handmaidens. She has this whole retinue of people. Mm-hmm. She's going to draw him forth with her own hands. And it says that she was moved to compassion. She had this great desire to spare him. Mm-hmm. She knew exactly what was going on. And she enlists the aid of Miriam and Yochabed. And then she gives him every possible advantage that he would never, ever in 9 million lives have audiences that he would never, ever have had without being raised in the house of Pharaoh. I've thought so much about her in terms of how we are mothers to everybody and what Becky was talking about, how it really takes Mm -hmm. an army of righteous, strong women to raise Mm -hmm. children. And I thought about all of the women who have played a role in my life and then the lives of my own children. I don't know about you two, but anytime I have to walk through the halls of a junior high or a high school, Mm -hmm. my heart is literally just drawn out in prayer for all of these kids. It's heartbreaking. I think it's going to take all of us engaged in this Mm -hmm. cause to raise the leaders of tomorrow. The other thing that really, really sticks out to me, and it's something that we're doing right now, is that 
as women, we are each other's greatest champions or we're each other's worst critics. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what creates this ridiculous competition between women. It's like, if someone's succeeding, I'm losing. Like it's a piece of the, like it's a pie or something. And then there's me. Gosh, I'm like, I want to look at this interplay between all of these women where Yochebed's going to give her her child, knowing that that's the best possible life for Moses. And Pharaoh's daughter is going to take that baby saying, I have some inkling of the sacrifice that you're making and it won't be in vain. And Miriam's going to keep tabs on this. I'm sure Miriam is incorporated into this whole scenario. And I just think about how we as women can champion other women. Boy, we should be each other's greatest cheerleaders. Mm -hmm. And if we all increase, then like our power just exponentially rises as we rise with each other. And so I want you to look at Pharaoh's daughter as taking her place in this whole Hebrew story that she would think is wildly beneath her, Mm -hmm. but she has a heart yeah, and she understands the value Mm. of a life. And all of these women take one woman out of this equation, ladies, what do you have? It stops. It stops. And yeah, it can I just shout out for compassion? Just that word, compassion. That is what yes. is driving mm-hmm. all Love of that these word. stories. All of them are driven by women having compassion. Okay, hold on. We just have to stop right here for a second. I mean, can we just sit with what we just heard and learned? I mean, Mandy. You just said something that is so powerful. It hit me. It hit me in my heart because I think it's at the heart of every story we're going to tell this year. And hopefully, I think it can be a part of our stories. And it's when you said, oh my gosh, it was so good. Take one woman out of the equation and it stops. I'm thinking right now, I do not want to be the cause of something stopping or ceasing to exist because I was petty or jealous or worried that if someone has success, it means that there's less of the pie for me. It is not about that. That was so powerful. And you know, here's Pharaoh's daughter who could have so easily removed herself from this equation. And quite frankly, she should have. By the law, she should have just said, nope, we're not doing it. Drown the baby, but she didn't. And because of that, we have the continuation of Moses' story as well as, because I'm just now thinking this, as well as him writing about these women at a time when women are seldom mentioned. This is so good. I love this. And I think so much of our lives, I don't know about you, but your heart mm-hmm. knows. Yeah. And as women, we're told to silence that, like your gut knows. And as she pulled that baby out of the water, oh, she knew. Yeah. And I don't know if she looked at her handmaids and pulled like the old Jedi mind trick and was like, <laughs> This is it. It's never happened. Think of all those women. How she's like, I'm raising this baby as my own. I have this magical baby. And all those women have to support her in that that decision. And then, I mean, do you see how like this web, if we're going to talk about women, this weave, talk about this this weave that Mm -hmm. all of us like throw our arms in this weave. And we're just like, I will stand with you. Our arms are locked and we are. We're going to see this work through. She is the catalyst. She makes 
everything possible because of the position. Talk about civil disobedience because of the influence and the position that she occupies with her status, her notoriety, her money, whatever it is. Pharaoh's daughter, we're going to call her bot Pharaoh, literally daughter of Pharaoh. That's the only title we have for her in this account in Exodus 2. And gosh, we got to think of another name for her. One more thing, Tammy. I This is for you, baby. Oh, okay. I'm so excited. Okay. The rabbis apply the daughter of Pharaoh to the verse from the woman of valor poem in Proverbs 31. <gasps> what? About verse 18, her lamp never goes out at night because her child is not killed in that Passover that her lamp doesn't go out, that what sh- her work that she has done oh is gosh. not put out by the dark night that takes out all of Egypt. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Mandy, wow. you are going to love this because in Proverbs chapter 31, which I can't wait. I love this proverb. In chapter 31, in verse 22, she maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Like there's the weaving. There's and the there's the weight. And then and silk and purple. The weight. Yes. The yes. weight that it has on you. And the royalty. The colors. Royalty the silk and purple oh, is royalty. That goodness. is exactly. Only royal, wealthy people wore silk. And the color purple means royalty. Here oh she is. Gosh. Right in Proverbs 31. That's really cool. I never yes. knew that. Oh, gosh. That's some good stuff, wow. Andy. There's another unnamed woman, proverb of a virtuous woman, which we'll talk about that later. But but wow. seriously, like, are you That's getting cool. a feel for these women? As a yes. list? I hope you are. Okay. Well, then we just have to do this because in this idea of this weaving, the last woman we're going to talk about, she's going to weave in power. Moses's wife is going to weave in priesthood power into his tapestry. This is so cool. Okay, so we have to talk about Zipporah. So in Exodus, oh my gosh, I love her. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 21, is when Moses meets Jethro. And that is Zipporah's father. And he's the great high priest. That's what we know him as in the scriptures. In fact, we're going to talk about him on the Sunday on Monday podcast when we get to Exodus chapter 2 and 18. And it is such a good story. But his name is... In Exodus chapter 2, verse 21 is Ruel, which means a friend of God. That may seem a little confusing because most of us probably know Zipporah's father as Jethro. Um, He won't be called Jethro until actually Exodus 4 and then again in Exodus 18. But in Exodus chapter 2, verse 21, it says, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. Now, what I love about Zipporah is we talked about this last year when we did the Oath and Covenant of the Priesthood in Doctrine and Covenants, section 84. And my guest at the time was Professor Marcus Marchines, and he teaches at BYU Hawaii. And he was talking about how fascinating it is with the restoration that we have this new idea being restored to us and the role that women play in the priesthood. Here's what Marcus Marchines said. And I see this idea that, oh yeah, the oath and the covenant of the priesthood, as we get into this together, in order to obtain the father's kingdom, we can only obtain that together as a man and a woman connected by priesthood and sealed by priesthood. And then I butted in and I said, oh my gosh, well, then we have to go back to the very beginning of section 84 because the beginning of section 84 gives us the lineage of Moses's priesthood line and where he got his authority from 
And it's through Zipporah. It's through his marriage to Zipporah that he is then given the priesthood power by Jethro. And it is so cool, this connection that she had to have been a believer then. She followed God. She was a covenant-keeping woman who understood the connection that priesthood power has in her life and in the life of her husband, because then there's a story in Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 through 26, where the Lord is angry with Moses because he refuses to circumcise his sons. And we don't really know the reason why, but we do know, according to the Exodus text, that God is upset with Moses's decision. So Zipporah just steps in and gets the job done and she does it herself. And in this really great resource book that I use by BYU professors, Andrew Skinner and D. Kelly Ogden, they say this, Zipporah met the demands of justice, spared Moses further upset from the Lord and ransomed him, as it were, giving him a fresh Uh start. And I think there are so many women who do that. Here's what's important. Here's what we're going to do. And that is, I just love Zipporah's example in that. And then you have to think about this because the other thing that Marcus Marcin said, this is so cool. He talked about Eve, who was a helpmeet. The word helpmeet in Hebrew is Azer Ki Negido. And Azer means help. Ki means like or as. But the verb neged is almost this idea of these balances. And so here we have this idea of these, this help me, this woman who is going to balance out and be equal with Adam. That is what Eve does. And that is what Moses and Zipporah did. They balanced each other out perfectly. Like Zipporah wasn't down here because she was a woman and Moses was up here. And I think so often as a little girl, I always viewed it that way, that men were up here and women were down here. And Satan wants us unbalanced. He wants us divided. He understands the power that comes from us being neged being like or as or balanced out. And so I thought that was beautifully illustrated in this story of Moses and Zipporah. Well, I was just going to say, Tammy, right to exactly what you're talking about with Zipporah, the act of circumcision was a covenant. Mm -hmm. That's how men made and kept the covenant with the Lord. A covenant is cut. You karat aberit or cut a covenant in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Covenants are always cut. And so she's the one saying, no, these will be covenant sons of God. Like she's, she's making sure that that covenant happens. She was making sure that that yeah. spiritual She wasn't gift, saying we've always done it. So it's just a tradition. <laughs> so we're going to do it to our sons. Like, no, she was emphatic. Like we, this is important for our sons to enter into this covenant with the Lord. Absolutely. Can I say something? It might be a little yes. off topic of, of what's happening here, but I'm just looking at the full picture, the full tapestry of Moses's life mm-hmm. and how he goes from a Hebrew mom to Egyptian society to Midian. Is it Midian? The Midians, right? And he kind Midianites, of understands yeah. all of these societies, all of these uh, cultures And he's just this multicultural prophet that can get the job done because he was raised. And I'm going to include Zipporah Mm -hmm. as raising him. Sometimes I feel like I'm raising Doug. I mean, let's be honest. A little bit. (laughs) Shout out to Doug. Gosh, I love him. He's got to raise me too. But you know what I'm saying. Doug's my husband. I'm balanced. You're You're balanced. And so was Moses. I feel like he was very balanced Mm -hmm. in the cultural sense of what he had to get done. 
that he had all of these women training him in these cultural ways. You know, I think about Miriam out there in the Red Sea with him and helping him that way and Pharaoh's daughter. And this is how you lead. This is how a Pharaoh guides and leads. And then Zipporah saying, listen, this is how the priesthood works. This is how we're faithful to God. This is how you, you know, live your covenant, whatever that is. I just love that thought that he was like a multicultural dude. Yeah. I love that. I do well, and too. you think about how does Moses get access to Pharaoh? Yeah. Yeah. Because Pharaoh's daughter. of his Egyptian yeah. mother. Yeah. He's no one, they're not gonna let him into the court. And I feel like that's how Pharaoh. he learned to be a leader. So that's how he learned to be the prophet yes. he was, is through being in Egyptian society and learning to lead. And I don't know. You just can't tell the story of Moses without telling the story of these six women. A disservice to underestimate the power of influence these women had in the life of Moses to get the job done, to do something that maybe you hadn't thought of doing before, to think outside the box, to weave this beautiful tapestry that, again, going back to that the Lord will take care of it. This might not be plan A or plan B, but it's God's plan. I just think sometimes we tell the story of Moses without telling the women's stories and that's why it's so important to talk about all of these unnamed women because they they sneak in and you don't notice them unless you're looking for them. Going back to what you said, Becky, mm. they are hidden figures. But when you hear their story, you think, wait, what? The role they played in getting us to that point we needed to get to, I had no idea. And that's what I've loved about studying these women. So now I just think it's cool because we have to apply this to us. The whole point was that these women have been saving Moses And then I think of the women in my own life who have saved me and the different roles that we are playing in the lives of others. You know, we are encouraged to be saviors on Mount Zion. We've always attributed that to being temple work, which is so important, but that's just one of the ways that we save. I think there are many of us in there who are drawing people out of the water. Like you said, man, the halls of the high school, how are we doing that? How are we drawing them out of the water? How are we saying... You know, I don't know, little white lies. They were so lovely. Where would I be? Where would I be without a few young women leaders yeah, who right? believed yeah. in me? I don't even like these are or these our are like sisters, our aunts, our daughters. Yeah, I mean, obviously, our mothers, our yeah. grandmothers, our yeah. friends, oh, our friends, right? Our Strangers friends that raise who... us. I mean, I think about you know Bible study. Oh. How much over the years that has yeah. raised who I am. Tam, you have been, you have been like my mother in that case. You have helped me. I mean, I would say that about all of you. Definitely. You have been a a Yochebed in my life. You have been a Miriam. You have been a Pharaoh's daughter. You have been a Zipporah. Oh my gosh, Becky, you're the queen of, let's just get the job done. All right. We we just need to get it done. But I just think all of you and, and I love Mandy, you have been my Miriam as you have guided me through the Hebrew language. I mean, this, you have just kind of guided my little woven well and i had carly who Mm -hmm. you know who introduced me to it and rebecca stay i mean all these women think the heavens right for women who see needs and meet them without even knowing and i think our greatest truths are hidden in plain sight the most critical pieces of the gospel of jesus christ are hidden right in front of our faces Mm-hmm. And I feel tremendous power inside of me talking about these women with you. 
it's totally reframed Moses for me. It just right. makes you see that negative. You mm-hmm. have to see the negative in all of this because he doesn't do any of that with without this whole army of just powerful, cool women. And I, I'm nothing without the people in my life right? and, and you ladies and my husband. And it's just like heaven is yeah. all of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying we it's may not have it all together, but together yeah. we have Amen. it all. Right. And we, yes. And we just have to end, Mandy, because I just want to end with this by saying, and half the battle yes. is showing up. So women out there yeah. just show up and the Lord will direct yeah. you for good. He will tell you what he needs you to do. He will guide you. He will give you thoughts, impressions, words, anything like that. But just that's what these women did. They just showed up. They were where the Lord needed them to be to do the greatest amount of good they could do in their life. So, wow. Thank you. Amen. Amen. That was so good. (gasps) Wow. That was a good episode. Thank you for joining us for this first episode of Unnamed Women slash Hidden Figures in the Old Testament. And we are so excited to continue this throughout the year. So join us. We have five more episodes and we cannot wait to tell you who the next unnamed woman is. We're not going to tell it now, but spoiler alert, you're going to want to know. And if you really enjoyed this bonus episode of the Unnamed Women of the Old Testament, you can check out our weekly Come Follow Me podcast on Desert Bookshelf Plus. We put a link in our description so you can subscribe to Desert Bookshop Plus for 30 days for free and see if you like it, which I kind of think you will, but that I'm being partial. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by going to our show notes page at ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday. The Sunday on Monday study group is a Desert Bookshop Plus original brought to you by LDS Living. It's written and hosted by me, Tammy Uzalak-Hall, and today our incredible study group participants were Becky Farley and Mandy Green. Our podcast is produced by Katie Lambert and me. It is recorded and mixed by Mix Set 6 Studios. And our executive producer is Aaron Hallstrom. Thanks for being here. And please remember, you do not want to remove yourself from the equation.